hey, I got three hot and ready's real quick for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Real, real quick. Um, J- Django and I both called the Collapser Collider. <laughs> Different times today. Yeah, yeah. it's a whole vertigo. Oh, every time. Um, <laughs> another hot and ready. If Joker runs a sushi restaurant, which is the comic I've been wanting to write for a long time, where he legitimately is just trying to to start start a sushi restaurant. Joker dreams of sushi. Yeah, it, that's what I was going to call it. Uh, and Batman's convinced that he's going to serve Joker fish, but he really is just trying to go clean and serve sushi. Then Bane in that world is also a chiropractor. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, and then the real life story of Batman Bad Boys. Yeah, and then um, hey Django, can what? I smell your head really quick? Yeah, yeah. I lost it. Yeah, I thought that that would bring it back, but oh, I put uh, rosemary oil on my head because I heard it helps you go not senile? not as bald. Oh, <laughs> it <laughs> makes you, it, it's supposed to make you not bald as Are fast. Are you trying to not be as bald? Well. That's the thing. Like, I put rosemary oil on my head, and then this afternoon, I realized, like, it smells pretty good. I like the way it smells all right. But um, <laughs> but I also shave my head, so yeah, yeah, I don't know I if I'm be... ever going to know that it works. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, between you smelling like rosemary and Justin smelling like Italian dressing today, <laughs> I had a, just a, a, a veritable potpourri in the comic <laughs> store, and then the pee that was outside, of oh course. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It, that was awesome. The sun came back out. It just cooked and the And the pee. wind, yeah. I I could smell the... I gotta, I'm sensitive to smell. Welcome to a Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, episode 139. Oh, God, that's so many podcasts. It is. I'm proud of it. I am, it's too. It's a lot of podcasting. How many words do you think that is? Where every Tuesday we pick up a whole bunch of comic books. How many unfinished, unrequited questions is it? Uh, how many... How many? Ju- like, for me or for us? Uh, well, I just... Unrequited question in the form of Django saying a thing and then me playing the game of looking at him for a second and then moving on without acknowledging it is one of my it's favorites. It's at least 139. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd say it's a once per P. Uh, where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comic books from UPS and bring them back to the comic shop that we all love and own. Um, all of us. And uh, we, uh, you know, count them, sort them, roll around in them, flip them up, flip them down, look at the spoilers, which are sponsored by different people each week. Uh, then we take all those books that we're really excited about home and we engage in a sort of artistic communal relationship with them. Justin, what's it like? What is it? It's sort of like a spiritual um... kind of like a burger. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Like yeah, a really yeah. good gluten-free bun. With peanut butter on it. Oh, with peanut butter I on it. I thought it was more of an auditory boondoggle. Oh, that's a great it. segue to our first issue. This morning, Justin said, make sure Jenga doesn't say boondoggle too many times, and it happened right a lot. Away. You'll get some follow-up soon, and then we come back to the comic shop that we all love and work at, and uh, we come upstairs to the Papcast in the Sky, the Pap Cave, the Penthouse, the, the Pap Pent... And we engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the comic books that we read, the comic store that we all reside in, or the comings and goings of our life. I'm Jeff, and I'm looking forward to getting, you know, a little chunk of Justin time here at the beginning of this Poco. I'm Django, and I'm not Justin, but I like being next to him. I'm Justin, and I am looking at Jeff, but I'm next to Django. This week's spoilers are sponsored by another podcast. Stardate Supplemental mm. by Cobra and Kyle. I don't know if he goes by Cobra on there. It's about like the ships that you that are not named in the Star Trek universe. Mm. 
and I think that they're going to be doing a, and it's a, it's a funny, intelligent podcast. Yes. I think they're going to be really lubricating the social vibe for episode 150. I think they might be our, uh, our, uh, our opening band, our opening band, <laughs> if you will. And Phil Satire will be shredding it up on the old six string mistresses, of course. So, uh, Stardate Supplemental, what are we spoiling today? Uh, Stardate Supplemental says that this day we're spoiling... Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number one. Daredevil, number eight. Uh, Batman, number 75. Blade Runner, 2019, number one. Ghost Tree, number four. Collapser, number one. Silver Surfer Black, number two. Silver Surfer, number two. <laughs> Like yeah, a look at that position. Is that a poop? Is that a poop? It's a poop joke. Okay. Yeah. I got I you. I got you. You always do. Uh, Spider-Man Life Story number five and Resonant number one mm-hmm. plus maybe a buckshot mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know I think so um, Justin you're not going to be around for it but I just want to throw some spoilers out there look forward to this halfway through the podcast um, issue number four Ghost Tree pick of the week for Jeff Figley oh um, shit best issue I've read of a comic book in quite a while dang wow. yeah hands well, down I got it, it put me into a pile of tears on my couch not but Today. three hours ago oh wow just so a like weepy those, mess that's those feelings you guys were telling me yeah, about last yeah. time bumpy yeah. yeah. bumpy Ooh. Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number one 12 issue maxi series written by Matt Fraction art by Steve Lieber and Nathan Fairbairn now, if I wasn't mistaken, I think my Django and my Justin had this as their pick of the week downstairs. Well, it's yeah, true. It's it wouldn't true. it wouldn't stop making me laugh when I was reading it. It's got that slapstick thing that I think is one of the very few overlaps that Django and I have. Yeah, yeah. And our gooey ducks, we overlap our gooey ducks sometimes. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think we... Uh, that makes it sound like we don't have any overlaps. I just like to think of us as polar opposites because I like space and Django doesn't. Uh, so this follows like the the stupid misadventures of Jimmy Olsen. He just keeps getting, I don't know, getting wrapped up in dumber and dumber adventures. And it kind of gives a little bit of context for his family in Metropolis. Like he's, his family is old school Metropolis and he is not super coordinated. He's down to do anything really. Like if somebody asks him to do something, he'll probably do it. And he just keeps causing trouble. Um, and it's what it's set up in like five little short stories, yeah. and each one is just a different trouble thing that he does. Um, I wonder if that's going to be the format for the series as a whole, or if the issues will go into more singular stories. I guess I didn't realize it was five different little stories. I thought it was just kind of one long ass day for Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, I mean they they, they overlap, but they, each one has like a title page. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. And the, yeah. the stories kind of bounce between them i don't know man steve lieber has the comic timing of uh somebody with really good comic timing (laughs) and uh he's like the dane cook of comic books oh man i'm just kidding i'm not tagging him in this post (laughs) (laughs) um i i uh the art was my favorite part i think i uh, yeah i after reading the Leviathan Rising issue that came out a while back and had uh-huh. the preview of this, I asked Django, and I, I said, like, you like Steve Lieber and other people that we have a tremendous amount of respect for talk about him being a great artist. And I, like, what is it? Because I, in that way that, you know, like Kirby or, you know, sometimes it just takes, you have to figure out why somebody is special because there's a lot of nuance to it. And uh, his, yeah, his timing is fantastic and his facial expressions are wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's... uh 
he's he's a very special artist. Um, very special boy. And and I mean, very when Matt Fraction boy. turns on the funny, he really turns on the funny. Yeah, it is an interesting thing. Uh, he walk he walks a fine edge with yeah. me, and he 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 can go to either side pretty easily, but. This could have been way too cute and stupid for me, but just something about the combination of those two um, and the absurdity. It's kind of a love letter to the Golden Age. That, yeah, um, I didn't think about that. You're golden right. Age Jimmy Olsen where he's just, you know, getting hit with purple kryptonite and marrying Lois Lane. and Well, and Kirby, you know. like, you know, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen was like... Kirby's thing. Yeah, yeah like Kirby. one of his fourth world you know that book's insane and i felt like this was really trying to channel that a little bit like just zany bonkers and dark side first appeared in that right yeah Yeah. it doesn't need to make sense uh i've always felt like a a resonance with jimmy olsen as a as a character so i was like i don't know i really like that character so oh my god you're jimmy olsen (laughs) Django superman and i'm perry white Perry White. All right, call call him that thing. Um. Oh. Fuck. Boondoggle. No. An ambulatory boondoggle. Yeah. That's that was one of my favorite jokes in here. Yeah. Uh, that was uh probably third down for me or so, but that that one that you sent us of the facial expressions is really some of the best. Uh, at, at one point, Clark is in the Daily Planet and he does a like a wink to the camera thing, <laughs> and <loved> the <laughs> next pa- page it shows. Leon from Action Comics in there sort of commenting on him standing over with that same like half grin winked eye because like you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the nuance of his face is it's just perfectly derpy yeah, yeah. It just feels like a moment out of like Super Friends that got stuck. Like, like you pause the screen at the wrong time. Yeah. Super Friends, it's like <laughs> there's like the six pan or the yeah the six panel page where it's just showing dumb adventures that he's had and reasons that the um that the Daily Planet's insurance is so high. Uh, out of all those, like, you know, him getting shot at in front of police cars and dinosaurs chasing him and gorilla, wedding gorillas chasing him, my favorite is the, like, the, the truck with a trailer on it hopping at him and him running away. <laughs> it's like yeah. the, the body language. I, I didn't know that trucks could have body language, yeah. but you can hear the, the silly sound it that truck like is making. It looks like it's pouncing on him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think they do a really smart thing in this where they address the, the sort of failing news industry thing without making it super on the nose, but they, they just bring up the, like, yeah, while we've been still trying to make print medium work, he's been doing YouTube, and the ad revenues that we've been getting from, like, his channel subscriptions has made <clears throat> made him the most valuable part of the Daily Planet. And I think that's a really intelligent way of justifying him. Right. Yeah, yeah, because he should not work there. No, yeah, or or anywhere. And by the end, like they've sent him to Gotham, and he's he's dealing with a silly landlord. I really like he's that. Been is murdered apparently in the newspaper. The impetus of the story is like, okay, we got to keep him, but we don't want him here, so let's send him to Gotham. Like, yeah. I, I hope he's in Gotham for like. There's a Gotham portion of. I hope of we have some issue. Matt yeah. Fraction written Batman and Jimmy Olsen overlap. Yeah. Yeah, there's some stuff that I did really like in here. It's so worth reading. I would personally, I'm going to give it a 7.5. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I would go up to a ten, but uh, Ooh. there's too much text on the first page. I, I, I think <laughs> that's I love, the only thing holding it back. I'm going to do a nine. I really, really like it. I really like Fraction when he's on. I'm really excited. Fraction has done some of the most like heart 
stuff that I've ever read, like Jeff Lemire level, like heart wrenching. FF had some really, really, really believable, sweet moments in it. And Hawkeye had a lot of like that soft, sad, sweet stuff. And I love that in comics. And he likes to write loners. He does. He's I, good at it. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's move on to Daredevil number eight. Well, we still got Justin. This is Chip Zdarsky. We've still got fill-in art. Fill-in art by Lalit Kumar Sharma. And colorist is Java Tartalia. This was a really good issue, but Marvel, like, we are super losing subscribers on this book from them having a fill-in artist. And if they just didn't rush a book out like this, it would, I I think it would have a much healthier readership and it wouldn't have dropped. You're showing your dick, Marvel. That being said, put your dick away. That being said, I don't know how much it would have helped to have Marco Cicchetto drawing this issue, which is mostly people sitting at a table in a really fantastic way, but... This bothered me the least about it not being Chiquetto. I f- didn't read the when the art shift shifted. I didn't read that issue, and then I caught up, forced myself through it, though. I really... That art does not speak to me. And Th- This stuff? Yeah. Or the, or the original? No, okay. this stuff. I love Chiquetto. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw Chiquetto's work. Um, but, yeah, this made the art since the conversation was so good and there's not a lot going on i was able to stomach the art but Mm -hmm. i i had had i been a sub i probably would have dropped yeah because it's such a polarizing shift it's so polarizing it's difficult but at this point i'm okay with it yeah and i'll continue to read it especially because the dirk dirk's shown his chops yeah and it is so well written i've uh i haven't read this issue yet because i i'm I'm not behind. I just didn't get to this issue yet. I think this week. you're really gonna like it. Yeah, I really like this art. Just flipping through it, it looks oh. it looks like uh, I don't like it in the same way that I like Chiquetto, but this looks like John McRae on there's, the on the good panels. There's it, some it's like, kind of inconsistent, some, uh, but the John yeah, McRae really, faces are awesome. There's some really amateurish <laughs> stuff in here at times, sure. like hands. It's her face is really inconsistent. All yeah, the, I was gonna say it's awesome and crazy that you said the word inconsistent just from a couple page because the whole time I was like god this woman doesn't look the same at all sometimes she looks overweight other times she looks yeah, gaunt exactly. she, like her yeah, body size yeah. is very different but in this issue we Matt shows up at the bookstore he's been shopping at throughout this series and has kind of a flirtatious relationship with the woman who owns it and works there and he's one thing I liked about this series is allowing a superhero to have not incredibly admirable dating relationships. Right. I I don't think it's, I I like this type of thing. I like the sort of, will they, won't they learning to meet somebody and like not knowing how they feel about I like all that. And that's not a thing that I feel like you get a ton in comics because I think it's a little morally gray and I love how on the nose they are about it. Like they're talking about him being a, a, bookstore creeper because he's kind of like but she ultimately invites him to dinner at her house and what do we find out there justin had you ever heard of this family before any of these characters no i i felt like they were original characters but maybe i don't know daredevil enough or maybe just all all crime families kind of blend into the falcones to me that's the first crime family i've ever heard (laughs) and it's just the only one but 
she invites him over because he's a lawyer and she wants her husband to meet him. Do, is she setting him up? Like, is she being... She definitely... He's sort of like, oh, her heart's getting fast and her blood temperature's rising, yeah. you know, because she's inviting me to her home to have dinner with her dad. Like, she's kind of into... Her husband, he's, she's kind of into me. And what he realizes up there is she's actually doing it. I don't know why, like, what her moral thing of trying to get him in the room was. It seemed playful, but then she's in a crime family, so yeah. is she being kind of a... Puchunko? Uh, no, just like a sassy. Like, is she kind of being a crime woman? Like, a, I don't, a crime lady? Like, yeah, I don't is she know. doing a villainous thing? Is this an emergence of a very slow kind of antagonist character? Yeah. Yeah, and that would be great. I love at one point there's Wilson Fisk meeting with a governor of the state, and he's basically just saying, like, we need to legalize marijuana and tax it so we can make money on it. I was like, whoa. Fisk is? Yeah. yeah like, nice. we're. Chip is doing really fantastic work with combining current day issues but not making it feel rooted in today yeah yeah but yeah we mostly just spend with matt trying to sort of be polite at this family dinner with a crime family who are condemning him for being a prosecuting attorney or, or having been one and he sort of holds his ground with like defending that no it's you don't just get to make your own rules like the law exists for a reason and i know that you think you're doing the right thing but people suffer when you you do that and she's like, no, people suffer when the law, which was made by rich people to support rich people, you know, is, is perpetuated. And hmm. yeah, it's really cool. There's a statements on class, social class and the way they position the crime family is kind of these in their eyes, they're doing the right thing. Right. And they do a really good job of not being like, oh, Matt's the good guy. You want right. to like order and these guys are chaos. It's not that pol polarized. It's pretty gray. And I think it really shows, like, Matt being Catholic, um, being a lawyer, like, Matt is obsessed with structure and rule. And I'm sure that's been kind of explored in Daredevil, but I've never seen that, that, like, where Batman is, you know, he's got to win or he's got to, like, make up for not having his parents. Like, this Matt hates chaos. He has to have order. He goes to, you know, Catholicism, which is, like, structured order. This is what the cosmos is. And then law and order, like he, and they even say like, oh, you're just obsessed with like your own rules or your idea of rules. And I really like that idea of pointing out that like a superhero doing right isn't, doing good isn't always doing right and vice versa. And I thought that that ethical line was really, really cool that we don't see in. Well, that's kind of what Chip's been playing with for the whole series, right? Like yeah. Daredevil maybe or did kill somebody in the beginning of the series. And so, like, for all the good that he does, he's also now a murderer. And that's, like, what the show plays <clears throat> with. Like, is he actually a hero? But I feel like this is done a little more intelligently and a little less dramatically. Yeah. This, yeah, that is kind of what he's been playing. And so that's why this moment kind of exemplifies the themes of the series as a whole. But this, like Justin is saying, the conversation was so evolved like it was a writer who feels like occupied both sides of the argument mm -hmm. and it in a way that i feel like that's what kind of i love about hickman's fantastic four stuff the reed richards dr doom stuff is that he's both of these characters and i'm just super impressed with uh how eloquent it was portrayed and, and how well the the personalities of the characters stood in this situation I thought it was really, really well done. This is probably my pick of the week. Whoa. Um, oh, sorry. Other than Jimmy Olsen. Okay. Like, those two blew me away. What, what score would you give it? Man, I a 9.5 for sure. Um, the art is the only thing that I can complain about just because I, I, I don't super love the art. And I'm we've been spoiled with yeah. Chiquetto. But, um, I'd go an 8 on it. I love it. The art 
is bumming me out, but I, I'm kind of like, I don't think that we're super missing out by not having Chiquetto in this arc. Right. And I think that that also is just sort of a testament to the writer. Where are we at next? Well, I think we should go to City of Bane. Oh, Batman his, 75. By Tom King, Tony Daniel. Uh, what's the more? Mitch Garrett. Mitch, Mitch does some. Timu More. Oh, boy. Just this to start off. Through through a gorgeous comic book. Yeah. yeah. And and kind of surprising because my first thought was like, that's a weird looking Joker. Like it's a yeah, not yeah. definitively, like it's a weird Tony Daniel style as we're sort of meeting this city of Bane arc, which is Arkham, or sorry, uh, Gotham, but an unknown period of time after Batman was coming out of the cave at the end of the last issue. Think how many times Tony Daniel has drawn the Joker, though. He's got Grant Morrison's headshot, like, satanic, super oh, pit of yeah, evil Joker. Right. He did the New 52 Joker stuff. Um, yeah, you're right. Detective with the chopped up face. It's interesting, yeah. Yeah, he, it's, he, clearly he's doing another new take on the Joker. Do we feel like it's trying to channel the White Knight a little bit? Or well, He's very pomp. He's very pomp. Yeah, it, it, what's interesting is that Pompadour. Yeah. His uh, his personality is very different from how Tom King specifically has represented him in the past. Right. So I almost thought it was not him, or he's being psycho pirate controlled to act a certain way. Right. So it starts with the one panel that just says later. I think that panel. So I just have to say that I love the way that that panel. That was a great time jump. It's so dramatic. The rain is and like beautiful. rooftops and raindrops and yeah. falling rain and the rain goes down and the it's wind a huge pours like it's a Tom visual. King thing. Yeah. Did you yeah, say the wind pours? The wind. The wind pours down. down. Yeah. Um, and so we're at some time in the future, and Bane runs the city. Thomas Wayne is Batman. Um, Ventriloquist is his Alfred. Um, Hugo Strange is Gordon. Hugo mm-hmm. Strange is Gordon. Joker and uh, Riddler are detectives. And uh, Batman is somewhere hiking up in the snow. Bruce is somewhere hiking up in the snow. Guy loves a natural high. down. Yeah. Um, and I think we can review this. I think we should review this in two parts because there's a second part which ties into the Villains United, the offer. Yeah. Um, but that seemed like they made him do that. It doesn't seem oh, like I it fits in with the rest of the book. And it's so. better than most of the offers that we've seen. But um, I think if we just concentrate on the, the Tony Daniel portion, um, it's, a, it's a good little – Gotham built around Thomas Wayne being Batman. I can't in our world pin down what it is when a writer can reconceptualize a, a thing. Like when you take pieces of the chessboard and just rearrange it. I love like books of magic. There is that one books of magic tie-in or series from like the 2009 where it's books of magic reimagined on another planet, and you see Constantine just like. I love Life just, during wartime. Yeah. There's just, I love when they, something that I know is familiar things is switched like 20 degrees mm-hmm. and seeing how a writer would just move pieces around the chessboard, not destroy right. the chessboard itself, but just move things around. And I think Tom King did such a good job of just like, oh, that makes sense. Thomas Wayne would be Batman here. Bane would be the, like the guy behind. Gotham Girl would be Robin. Yeah. I really, really love when you revision something that we're all familiar with. Yeah, and, and then we get this great sort of monologue scene, but what it has in it... Actually, I guess that's in the later half of it. 
I, I won't bring that up. But we get we get an introduction of all these villains having these different cop roles in Gotham, and it's disturbing and so accurate that all of these villains would be so well um, placed. Yeah, and they're just having fun. They run the city. Bane has, and yeah, it makes because Bane is always convinced he's like doing the right thing. So yeah. of course he would put him on a police force. Like there's still, it's not. What I really liked is it's not complete chaos like you see in the third batman where things just kind of descend into anarchy it's like this weird criminalized structure of the world it's yeah i I really liked how how there's somewhat of a structure but it's real bad and the shots of thomas wayne batman standing with hugo strange gordon is are just these awesome yeah like you said 15 degrees altered uh classic images we've seen a hundred times we have um, Batman going up the mountain that like casts the shadow or something. It's this metaphor he's brought up several times in this Tom King run that al- is what allows oh. him to remember everything is that he went to this place to do yeah. this thing. And it's what he has said is why he can remember how he and Catwoman met and it, different than her. Oh, awesome. And I was reading some theory today that like that thing that he's playing with, the difference of their memories is going to like possibly be affected by doomsday clock and be affected by alternate continuities. And like how we've seen the alternate future where he gets married to Catwoman and they're old together. Or like, is it alternate because she's in this one? Right. right. Well, yeah, and the we, booster it, reality too, right? Right. Yeah. yeah there's another. But I, I like that idea of Tom King maybe being aware that Doomsday Clock, like there's a yeah. continuity shift that's going to happen. This climaxes with Bruce hiking through the snow to go to this place and the person he was trying to meet is not there and has been murdered or kidnapped or something, but he gets attacked and thrown almost naked into the snow and then Catwoman rescues him and they get face to face in this gorgeous Tony Daniels page that I just stared at for a while but um and this all kind of seems like it's linchpinned around psycho pirate is convincing people so what it occurred to me is maybe maybe joker is acting so different because he's being controlled by psycho pirate well also so this issue made me feel something that i didn't think i would ever feel and that is that maybe i should reread the war of jokes and riddles yeah i know Um, because the joker riddler dynamic is like they are mortal enemies in that and watching them be cop buddies in this is uh, like as soon as I saw that I was like oh fuck I gotta reread that story uh, yeah. that I didn't like very much yeah. and I might actually get something good out of make it make something it's gonna make everything later in this series make sense so yeah that all was very good but the Mitch Garrett's backup issue that is all it's just shots um, with a, a narration over it that is a conversation between Lex and Bane where Lex is trying to proposition Bane I can help you and your town in this new world order if you don't ever try to usurp me. And he's basically like, no, I'm good. I've done what's impossible. Like, I've, yeah. I've taken Gotham. I don't I don't need your help, but I'm not going to challenge you either. I fucking love Psycho I do, too. He's not a guy I knew about before Tom King. But So it's, anyway. I, it's awesome and gorgeous. Yeah. The shot of Pig with the rope. That yeah. You just, like, Justin and I just stared at that yesterday. Uh, I think it's one of the finest, like, panels of, like, instance of perspective and foreshortening that I've seen. Um, and, and Photoshop blur. Yeah. Mitch Garrett's is, is the best. I would give this issue a nine. I I loved it. And yeah. it took me, like, two pages to realize that the art had switched to Mitch Garrett's because I was so engrossed in the story, and, and I love that. Yeah, other than the art change, there's not a clear delineation between the two stories. That yeah. I thought that was kind of a bummer. I actually thought that worked well, like, worked yeah. to its benefit. I would give this a nine also. I think I would have given, given it a ten if it was just the first part. 
Oh, really? But yeah. I As much as I like the art in the second part, I feel like, I don't know, it feels forced on the book by editorial. The, um, the whole offer thing that's happening in books, yeah. like, that feels that way in every book that it's in. Yeah, it's, it's, like it's a, out of place. It's a weird. couple pages at the end, and it's always images with a narration over it, and it it's, it's never anything very any page. yeah it's nothing it's not that interesting this is the most interesting one that i've read awesome. justin did you give it a score uh nine. Oh yeah nine's all around that's it's a, been a that's long a good one so justin before you go i had a question that i wanted to pose to the group tonight uh in in spot of a voicemail or anything um i was assuming roman was going to be here i was particularly interested in what he said but i'm actually very interested in, in the response from both of you guys when you're reading books batman's a really good example because uh, the rogues gallery is a perfect candidate for it but do you do voices for the characters in your head as you're reading them i remember uh coming to the store when chris cloud worked here before i worked here and he you know, was reading a Joker thing. He's like, oh, it just works so well. The voice I have for him is this. And he said it in that voice. And I was like, whoa, I read everything in my monotone, flat Jeff voice in my head. I read everything in my very interesting and dynamic Django voice in my head. But I do, well, most of the time I just kind of gloss over stresses and pauses. In Batman, I've been paying real close attention to where words are bold and trying to stress those. And Did it, you know that like that's the letterer makes that decision most of the time? Really? It's like so often not even t- in touch with the writer. That's interesting. Dictate like What I, about the ellipses in the in the backup on Batman cuz I took extra time to read like that one. Dot, and, dot, dot, yeah, like I paused at those, the dot dot dot. Those sound like scripting to me because Tom King has a real consistency with it i would say yeah what about you justin do you make the voices um i have like not everything like if it's a new book it'll just be in boring ass justin voice but Uh characters that i'm really established with i have my own internal continuity and voice like bane has a very distinct like demonic yeah joker is pretty animated series like it's pretty formed like it's a very high-pitched snarky squealy kind of thing um yeah spidey has got it might just even be my voice because I was so in, wa- yeah, <laughs> in yeah, love yeah, with I mean, Spider-Man for so long. Um, but yeah, I, I I usually have like characters that I'm really familiar with. They have like built their own personality in my head. Um, Roman's really familiar with every character, so I, I imagine he's got some voices. But. Right. Word, man. Well, hey, you've got to you got to move into a new home, and it's your birthday tomorrow. It is. Hey, Justin. Hey. It's your birthday. Hey. I'm going to fly to Austin on your birthday, and I'm not going to get to see you, but I'm going to give you a big hug tonight. Well, hey, listen, you guys called me last year when I was in Spokane. I remember that. And it was really fucking hot, and it was a really bad birthday. Um, It was just, yeah. And when you guys called me, I was eating hummus alone in my really hot room, and it made my my day. So tomorrow I'm just going to sit in my room alone and just eat in a hot room and eat hummus until... That sounds you know, like the I, I like, summon you guys here. Sounds like the Chuck Dixon bar for birthdays to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until and then it got real. Tom King and Grant Morrison when you guys called. <laughs> Good luck tomorrow. I love you, buddy. Happy birthday. birthday. You're wonderful. You're wonderful. It's too. great to have you in, in all of our lives. Good to be back. Thanks for playing with us, Justin. Oh, Thank yeah. you for playing with us. All right. Well, I want you guys to do the rest of this in your own internal Bane voice. Oh, Blade Runner twenty ninety nine. Blade Runner twenty nineteen. <laughs> um. God, he's a good kid. His, yeah, he even smells good. Yeah, he's everything about him is real good. I just wish he knew it. I don't, 
I don't know if he even knows how muscular his back is. It's so strong. It's Today like, we just sort of felt and touched his lower back, which is so strong. It's strong like the main character in Blade Runner 2019. Blade Runner 2019 by Michael Green, Mike Johnson, and Andres Guinaldo. Great segue. Thanks. So I want to just go on record. Uh, Blade Runner was my dad's favorite movie. I never made it through it once awake the whole time. I went and saw the new movie that came out a couple, like a year or two ago and couldn't stay awake in that. And there's just something about that movie and that world and those stories that has never super resonated with me. And I think it's incredibly influential sci-fi, but I think I grew up on sci-fi that was all really influenced by it. So by the time I was coming to it as an adult, it didn't feel like super unique stuff. I've never been able to stay awake through all of the first Blade Runner either. Yeah. Um, I have read the comic book adaptation, oh. so I know a lot about Blade Runner, basically. <laughs> I'm kind of like a, you know what I mean? a runner kinda, head. Kinda, yeah, a runner head. <laughs> um, I did really like the new one, uh, but I think that it's got a little more modern storytelling than the, than the old one. Mm-hmm. It's still super slow, but um, something just a little more engaging. This comic, though is pretty fast-paced and definitely feels rooted in that world. Um, I didn't think the art was spectacular, but it definitely served the story well and and kind of got us through this sort of hyper-crime noir mystery that they're setting up for another Blade Runner to, uh, to kind of solve. Yeah, so in this, we basically set up a... And I, a story with I think the guy works in the Tyrrell Corporation or or something. But anyway, there's a, a high-ranking, powerful official or politician or something whose daughter has gone missing. So this uh, super badass female Blade Runner cop has been hired to solve the mystery. And that on itself doesn't seem like the most interesting thing, but there's something like so competent about this art to me. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't, it's not super flashy, but it's remarkably competent and it's, it, it's definitively Titan comics to me. Yeah. Like it's, it seems like a real high quality book, but it's not like no one, I wouldn't say you've got posters of this guy's art on your wall, but he's great at telling a story. And more than that, I think that he's really great at building atmosphere and world, which I think is one of the really important parts about the Blade Runner universe is is the town absolutely and it's also i don't know like the the body language and the the storytelling is super easy to follow yeah even even in the rain in the dark (laughs) in an alley and yeah you're you're right like on the second or third page this was we're meeting this female cop she um kind of backhandedly convinces this android that she's got to take in um to be put down uh to stab his eyes out and like it was a brutal scene i was like uh they're replicants yes thank you um (laughs) the on the following page of that the smoke there reminded me a lot of frank quietly smoke and Uh there's a lot of artists that would just draw lines or smooth lines and what this made me remember is that i am i love people who have the time and energy to just squiggle the line like make every bit of your pencil movement be a detail like nothing needs to be flat and straight it's the time and the energy and the weed yeah for sure the weed there's so at the end there's a woman with a child kind of trying to get somewhere and i wasn't clear on whether that was supposed to be rachel 
the, from the original movie with because the, of the pompadourish look because of hair. her hair. Yeah, I was, and also it's definitely her shadow on the cover um, behind the detective. Oh so, yeah, it is the woman who with the hair and the smoking. Yeah, You're like right. that's that's like a shadow directly out of the movie. So I don't know how this is going right. to directly tie in with the Blade Runner movie. Uh, I would be totally happy if it didn't. That's my. That would be thought. totally fine with me. It it would be fine with me if we expanded some of the characters too. But I like the idea of just more stories in this world. And Jeff, this this book is a really good example of why I like crime books because this is just a straight up noir book mm-hmm. set in set in the Blade Runner world. And it. I don't always super gravitate to that genre. I know, and and I like texted Jenny. I was like super eager to hear your thoughts on it because I I there was something about it that I can't quite place my finger on. But it's a combination of the characters being well done, it not being super exposition heavy, um, and and just the art being gorgeous. Uh, I'd give it an eight. I, I liked it a lot. This is a week of comics with good scores in here because I'm not talking about ones that I don't like. I'd give it an eight and a half. Nice. Um, I'd probably give it a nine, but the the art. The art didn't quite work for me like I wanted it to. Yeah. It's it's good, but I think page to page, it's not real consistent. Yeah, it just was like very workman-y to me. Like yeah. It's very just yeah. sort of a, a workman. Uh, perfectly acceptable, if you will. Are you reading Ghost Tree? No. Ghost Tree number four would be my pick of the week. Um, Jack, Django, check this out in my pocket here. I brought this with us. Is that a middle finger? It's a gooey duck. Oh, a on ten. the table. Um, yeah, this is my ten for the week. Uh, I would give this issue a ten and this series a ten. I think that you would like this book a lot. Okay. I think that you would like it a lot. I don't know if I can sell you on it on this issue if I hadn't sold you in talking about it in the past. It's a lot of feelings, is what I get from it. It's a it. lot of feelings, and I'm not against them. I just don't. This wraps up the story of the main character going back to Japan uh, to visit his grandfather 10 years after he had died um, and to realize that his family is able to see ghosts and have conversations with them. And in in some instances, they're able to sort of put them to bed, so to speak. Um, But it is more than that, a conversation, an incredibly well done, metaphorical beautifully illustrated conversation about the memories and stories that we take with us and hold on to how they shape us and 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 how they sort of become these ghosts that haunt us all the ghosts are basically metaphors for memories that we don't rid ourselves of Um, and he like i've said uh, meets uh, his ex-girlfriend it was his first love and there is just this amazing couple page sequence about them talking about deciding to go their separate ways I mean she's a ghost and he's moving on but the way that they're able to have a conversation about staying important to each other and making sure the other person knows that and also justifying where they're at in their life is incredibly well done that was the first time I started sobbing in this book I don't I, I don't want to give away the end of it. It does not end where you think it would. But it's beautifully illustrated. And uh, there I, I can't remember. I had a thought that I wrote down. Um, is this the last issue? Yeah, it's done now. Is um, this... Who is this artist? It's so good. Not anyone I've ever seen. Like, this book was out of nowhere. And there's... 
no reason that anyone sh- for no reason should have just picked it up. Like it doesn't scream anything, but I just read it by chance that week because I liked the art and it it is such a Jeff story and it reminds me very much of Day Tripper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really, really, really special book. Uh, I feel like it always had something to teach me and I never knew where it was going and it didn't end up where I thought it was going to go. Uh, it was gorgeous every step of the way and every issue that came out, I got to happily sit down and hear a story that I knew I would learn something from and that is a really special thing in comics. Every issue after reading that first one, I I, I knew I was going to learn how to process some nostalgia and guilt and emotions and memories and, and pains of my own life. So it is super special. I, I will probably make it a monthly pick of the week when the book actually comes out. But um, four issue many, IDW. Uh, it's written by Bobby Kernow, art by Simon Gain, Ghost Tree, IDW, a publisher that doesn't put out a ton of jaw-dropping stuff but this it's surprising to me that we even got it because yeah. there there are idw books we order none of right yeah. yeah um yeah it's it's great have you it's a 10 10 10 10 have you ever given your therapist things like this i gave him the first issue of she could fly uh-huh um, that I, seems like very directly related to his therapy, profession, right? Yeah, yeah. Like this, this seems like something that's how you deal with your feelings. So like this and Day Tripper sound very similar to me. I really want you to read this. I'll, I'll grab them tonight. I, I think I, we have all of yeah, them. Yeah, I think we have some additional printings of it. Um, and I think everyone that hears this should pick it up. It's going to be an inexpensive collection. And I, it's, it's one that I... It finished it, or as I was reading, I was just like, "This is a, a thing I'm going to give as a gift a yeah. lot in my life." So, nice. uh, ten, loved it. Everyone should check it out. It's not the same when you give a ten as when Romy gives a ten. No, it's not. I know. It's yeah. Like, it's just not. Yeah, it's not bad. No, I know. But he, know. like, you don't, you don't look around the table with that little perverted gleam in your Raccoon eye before face, you like, a, like he just found a thing of garbage. Yeah. 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 yeah, and to be fair, his gooey duck is three or four times the size of mine. Well, I mean, both are tens in my book. Django, you are such a sweet boy. I love you. I, I had a thought. Yeah. What I, if? Dude, every podcast, there's a moment like this, and I love it. <laughs> and unfortunately, if we're way over for time, it's a <laughs> thing that I know. Out. Well, I mean, I cut out a, a whole book review I did solo last week, so I, I don't try to. But, you know, when there's like a... I've got an I've got a movie pitch. Yeah. And what yeah. I got a question. I love well, it. Listen. I love uh, it. You know, I'm not here to respect your time. <laughs> you don't do a podcast to save Jeff time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we were too worried about saving each other time, we wouldn't be able to have a functioning work relationship like It's true. Do. It's very true. What if we change the way that we score books? I've been saying that. I, I personally really want to do a one to five. I know you do, but I've got a very much more drastic idea. Oh. What if we graded them on a bell curve? So we've That's got... A pretty accurate representation of how I grade comics. Right, but in any given week, you can give out, say you've got nine comics. Mm-hmm. You can give out 110 and 11. You must give out 110 and 11. And then you can give out... Two eights, uh, three sevens, 
a four. You, you know what I mean? So we'd have to, yeah, tailor it to uh, fit the number of books that we do. But yeah. We do like nine to ten books. Every week. So if you could, you had to do one one, you had to do one ten. And, and then, then like two, whatever two, the bell well, curve spread yeah. is between I that. I think it should be one, three, five, sevens, and tens. And, you know, maybe we've got a, a half a point fudging room, you know, like nine to ten yeah. is one, and one to two is another. But that would have definitely been my ten. What did you, What would your ten this week have been? Uh, my ten this week would have probably well, been Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. 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 Easy. Easy. Although Rota Bones would have been a But I contender. think that's a good way of looking at it because, like, every week – a comic is your favorite book of the week. So if you were to try and scale it to just that being the 10 for the week, where does everything stack up to that? Yeah, not everybody can get an A, is no. what I'm saying. No. Because really, compared to what I put out this week, every one of these comics is a 10. Yeah, we didn't make any comics this week. Oh, not this week. No. I didn't even draw any dicks this week. It's a shame. I love coming uh, into work and seeing your penis drawings. Collapser number one by Mikey Way, Sean Simon, Elias... Crisis. Crisis and Chris Peter. C-R-I-S. This book <clears throat> was wild. It was wild. This is a new Young Animal series. Um, Doom Patrol recently restarted at issue number one, even though it's chapter 13. And this is sort of the first Young Animal book to be coming out of that relaunch. By someone with the last name of Way. It's Gerard Way's brother. Bingo. Yeah. All right. All right. I like Gerard Way's brother's writing more than I like <laughs> Gerard Way's writing. I, I I'm not I'm not a 17 year old girl. Although you're very cute, like one. Um, who all seem to really like Gerard Way's writing, but I I really like this book. I thought it was it harkened back to the the good old days of Vertigo, and I was surprised that DC He's let it come Star out. Starman. Oh, he might be reading Starman. Uh, I really liked the art in this. It looks a bit like Nick Darrington, who did the first chunk of Doom Patrol. Um, I was I will go out and say that this is my favorite young animal book to have come out, with the exception of Doom Patrol, when it was sometimes that book was firing all, on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah, I never got that out of Do- Do- Doom Patrol, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, but it's just not really a Django book. So it follows uh, a very anxious DJ by night who is like a bedpan changer old folks home guy by day he gets a delivery after having this wild dream and waking up in the same position as uh what i think we're going to find out was his mother mm-hmm. from the first page he wakes up in the same position as she was in when she died in the same position yeah yeah it's classic uh back to the future gag there and uh he gets a delivery uh, from his mother, who he's never met, probably because she's uh, off planet. And uh, it turns out that it's a black hole, and he's he's got a black hole. But a lot of weird, interesting, cool things happen in between. And this was kind of the first time, like we've we've read a lot of books in the last year that are about people with some sort of mental illness. Mm-hmm. And what's going on in the dialogue of their heads. Like She Could Fly is a really good example. Um, And I enjoyed She Could Fly. It was a little more uh, bombastic than this one. And Mm -hmm. a little more like... like, It had uh, a kind of crazy... Michael Bay sort of... Yeah, adventure detective thing going on. Yeah, and even like when, when they showed her inner thoughts that were super crazy and violent. Like none of that really... 
felt real to me. And I, I know that is a real thing. It's super, super I real. I know that's a real thing. But like this... Today, when you were bending over to get somebody's files out of their their file, and I grabbed my my soda bottle from above your head, and I lived the experience of if I had dropped that and it hit your head and what your response would have been and you would have tried <laughs> to have been positive about it but you would not have been able to hide your sudden surprised anger about it as well uh -huh. and I like felt all of those emotions and then I was like oh wait no everything's fine like, it was just like all yeah. the time every day and, and like I believe that that happens and it was interesting to read She Could Fly to see kind of that glimpse into the way somebody's brain could work. Mm -hmm. But the way that this one is written, where everything that happens, you've got like this dark word balloon of the guy's thoughts. And so like, it's just super negative and super bummed out. And, you know, like nothing good ever happens and I'm not good enough. Um, I, I felt like this was more of a more of a touchstone for me than than she could fly which is way out of my wheelhouse believe it or not i have had negative thoughts <laughs> yeah once you know or twice. it's interesting i uh i read all those black uh thought bubbles and you're you're totally right it sounds like it's his anxiety voice but i interpreted it as whatever black hole entity came out of that package to like start living within him and i, I do think that it started before it did yeah but i I, I read it as like the voice of a foreign thing inside of him, which right. is kind of works for the anxiety thing. But yeah. and then maybe that's kind of the metaphor that they're playing with. But I, I didn't even that that didn't register to me. Yeah, I I, I really enjoyed all of it. Um, the art is like comic. a mixture of like cartoony, and it's got a thick ink line that I really like. I, I really mm -hmm. like when uh, like when cell shaded video games started coming out, and everything had like a really thick border if they were on a different depth. And this is doing that. Um, it's it's cartoony, but it's also yeah grounded in certain ways. It's highly detailed. It's gross. Um, there's some real human moments as well, like the old man he keeps wanting to just try and play chess with, but his job keeps getting in the way, and he like ends so up screwing with this old man. Yeah, and it's there's a lot of, of things in here that I, I really like, but I, I think a lot of it came down to just really enjoying the art. I, I really enjoyed the art. I really liked his girlfriend. Uh, and there's a very spooky, weird thing that happens at the end. B basically, it looks like his mother had a black hole that lived inside her, and yeah. she somehow sent it to him, and now it's inside him, and we don't exactly know what's going to happen with that but you know what else it had what and i'm going to show you this this page and um this panel here it had oh. half tone dots yeah. not not zipatone dots yeah that is that is as i think pretty different very different from the stuff that was in naomi yeah and and in resonant which we'll talk about later okay. um but I, I like i've been casually keeping an eye out for a really good example Both of of half tone dots and how they're different from Zipatone. And it's basically big dots going to small dots to give yeah. a sense of shading. And this is like a different thing used differently. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And that's, and that's got a real different effect. And you should definitely take that bit out because we talk about that a lot. Yeah, but no one ever heard the 40-minute argument. <laughs> so 
So I think it's nice to seed that as well. <laughs> Just like maybe one day, years from now, when we're at episode 400 and people are paying, you know, to support us, whatever, one when, of our bonus goals. Patreon. Yeah, will be to get the hidden argument of J- Roman sitting there sort of awkwardly while Django and Jeff are like kind of almost yelling at each other about Tom Waite and Mac DeMarco and comic books. And uh, I would give Collapser a seven which is pretty high for a lot of those young animal books and, and pretty high for a book that's just kind of floating there. I, I really like the art. I'd give it a seven and a half. Yeah. Um, mostly because it felt like an old Vertigo book to me. Yeah. And I really have a soft spot for those. I've been watching a YouTube channel called Cartoonist Kayfabe. Oh, yeah. It's the Ed Piscor, um, Jim Rugg, and Tom, Tom Scioli. Scioli YouTube channel they've been doing in... Everyone should go check that out. Cartoonist Kayfabe. There's some amazing stuff happening there. If you like us, you should check that out for sure. Um, but they have made me feel like I don't know anything about comics. And that's a really humbling, awesome experience to have. Yeah. Well, they're looking at it from a very artist standpoint, yeah, right? And it, and it's, yeah, it's super interesting. And, and, and yeah, they're brilliant. Silver Surfer Black by Donny Cakes. 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 Donny Cakes. Donny Cakes, Trad Moore, and Dave Stewart. Who is the king of colors. He is. He and the queen would be Jordi Belair. Mm-hmm. This book is awesome and cool, and I like it a lot, and I'm excited to read it, and I'd forgotten it was coming out this week. Would I, you say ooky is another word you could ooky, use? Ooky, ubidi, ubidi. Ubladá. Um, I know the song. Um, that being said, I did not like this issue as much as the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think the writing was quite as strong. And Trad Moore's art is awesome to look at because there's no one like it. But this is a very different, st- not very, but it is a different style than the m- larger bulk of his work. And I don't like it as much, but I still really like looking at it. Was it, he did Venom for a little while before Donny Cates took over, right? Or he yeah, did an he did issue like or an annual issue or something. Or something. But the and Luther I didn't stro- like it. Yeah, and the Luther's, yeah, for sure. And this is a little bit more in line with that Venom stuff. I like this more than I like the Venom stuff. Yeah. I haven't read Luther Strode, although I have them all in you the boxes the that I'm bringing World. to the shop. New World was awesome. Yeah, that art was real special. And that was a little bit more in line with his older style. This is like somebody gave him a, a fat Sharpie to use. Yeah, and it's... He, he uses a lot of large... <clears throat> anyway, it's, it's it's got an almost more 90s Disney animated vibe to it in, in some regards. That being said, this one page of him like escaping the planet that's trying to like swallow him yeah. is such an amazing good. shot. And I really like the like some of the early pages where he's kind of flying through the plants that are trying to eat him yeah. and scooping up black goo and... Yeah, I don't know. It it also kind of it, it introduces a crossover between Null from the Venom and Silver Surfer, where he turns uh, Null turns Silver Surfer into the Void Knight. I didn't care, and I love Donny Cates and what he's doing. I, I love the Cates Gate and settling my mind's eye just beyond the gravestones hidden in the mist of the Cates Gate, but I don't feel like everything needs to be so self-referential with venom on venom on venom on yeah venom. and like the thana like it, it's you're great at writing um it doesn't all have to come back to the singular mythos that you're building right but also that is very cool as well but i i i didn't need this to feed into that yeah and i wonder if there's going to be a, like a larger backlash for that at some point because it, it really is 
cool that he's able to do mm-hmm. that. And um, I wonder if maybe if I wasn't quite so jaded about storytelling and kind of seeing through the holes in some things, mm-hmm. uh, I wonder if I would like this a whole lot more. Because uh, it's it's undeniably cool and it's, super it's rad. Cool. Yeah. Like this this comic is rad. I just don't know if Lauren I... Lauren rad. <laughs> I just don't know if I think that parts of it are good. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. I would give this one a seven. Really... Really am liking what it is, but this one uh, wasn't didn't stand out quite as much as the first issue. I would give this probably a five for writing mm-hmm. and probably a nine and a half for art. Oh. So I'm going to give it a seven and a half. No, I'm like going to give it a seven. Nice. I don't like the writing. I'm sorry, Donnie. I'm sorry. We There's do not really enough goddamn like word Donnie. balloons. We like Donnie. I just, I can't read text in boxes unless it just says, meanwhile... Huh. Um, Spider-Man Life Story, the, th- <laughs> the the 2000s, Spider-Man Life Story number five by the Chip Zdarsky. The U2000s. <laughs> Penciler, uh, Mark Bagley, Inker John Dell, colorist Frank Darmata. What's really interesting about this is I mentioned on the podcast that I started reading the J. Michael Straczynski omnibus of Spider-Man. He was writing it um, just a couple months, a couple issues had come out before 9-11 happened, so 2001, um, and he wrote it for a good chunk of time, but a big thing that he had written about was the Moreland, you know, spider totem stuff, and that's the arc that this one dealt with, and it was just nice, if this had been issue number four, I wouldn't have known who this character was, but it came out at such a time where I was <laughs> able to be like, oh, cool, I'm reading this, I get this. So we keep following Spider-Man as he gets older, and uh, I don't know, like, older and something are... Yeah, like more and more and... selfish, like yeah, wrapped up in himself, sort of. Yeah, this is man, Chip. Why are you fucking with Spidey? I really like this book, but I all yeah, I don't like it at the same time. I don't like what he's doing with Peter's personality, mm-hmm. but I think the conceit of this story is so good. I think yeah. the idea of trying to wrap a person's entire life up into the years that they've been coming out and sort of squish it all into an era uh, is one of my favorite things to see done in stories. You know what this is? Mm. This is just what if. This is like a meta what if, right? What if like Spider-Man w- had aged accordingly? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I would read... I would read this from every single Marvel and every single DC character if they made them. I, I was thinking that they should just do more of them. As long as they didn't make it another universe, right? So I don't want an old man. I don't want a life story universe right. like we have an old man Logan where universe where everything at the same time. Kind yeah, of rates like, that yeah. doesn't interest me at all. But I would love to see this same conceit with a whole bunch of other characters. I think it should be done decompressed a bit. Uh huh. I do really like that every time he kind of introduces a thing he just doesn't pick up on, like Captain America in Vietnam at the end of one. The end of the last issue was Craven getting you know possessed by the Venom symbiote. Right. We don't see it because 10 years pass. Right. I like all the hidden storytelling he's doing. This is pretty good Mark Bagley. This is pretty good Mark Bagley for 2019. All right, so put it on the bell curve, man. Like, this is a 10 for Mark Bagley. Yeah, it is. Oh, wait, it's, but there's only one of them, so it's also a one yeah, for Mark Bagley. Yeah, it's, it's tough Bagley. I mean, but anyway, he's... They they have this deal with the Moreland spider totem stuff, they deal with Civil War, and then they deal with the 9-11 stuff. 
Yeah. Um, that was, that was a lot to jam in there. Pretty masterfully done. Yeah. Uh, I wish that, yeah, each issue, I wish that instead of an issue, each of these issues was sort of like a three issue miniseries. I could do like Spider-Man in the fifties, you know, or like the seventies, mm. three issues, eighties, three issues, because I think it's a great idea and I want to encourage them to do it more. But I think that they could have maybe chosen a, uh, a more current artist. Or change the artist for each decade would, that would be fine really with me, good. too. Yeah. Like, uh, put Marco Cicchetto on one of these, because he's not doing anything this week. <laughs> uh, he didn't have a book out this week. <laughs> yeah, I, I take exception to the art. The 2000s is probably my least my least touchstone part of Mar- the Marvel Universe. Although this is... This does cover my Spider-Man stuff with the Moreland and right. the Ezekiel and everything, but I really did like the uh, when Cloak shows up with uh, the the Avengers. Yeah, he's got Cap and Hawkeye and like like we didn't even see the part of the the story because it's such a compressed story. We didn't see Power Man grow that, that beard, beard. <laughs> that awesome white beard he's got. And it looks like Moreland kills one of Peter's kids in this, which is brutal, and I don't think it's going to be great. Like it's, They're really doing the Parker Luck thing where they're tearing him down, but they're not shining a light on him being such a good guy in it, which I like to think of Peter as that. But I, what I'm realizing is you know, I love Peter 30 years and under, and I'm not as interested in older Peter. You know, I really like him in his teens and 20s. Well, so maybe that's kind of the, the larger concept of this book is that instead of having Peter always having the – uh, optimism of the youth, mm-hmm. you can beat it out of him. Yeah, it's beaten out of him for sure. Yeah, like he's he's given up being Spider-Man at the beginning of this book. But he is, he's been kind of a puchunko the whole series. Like, it, it's yeah, a, he was a butthole in the first issue, which wasn't is he? interesting because Chip wrote that you know Peter Parker Spider-Man series, and he wasn't really a, a butthole in that. So there's an interesting. I think there's an intention in doing it. I don't think it's yeah. an accident. Um, but I just it, it's not exactly what I want. But what do you give Spider-Man the life story number five? The aughts. Six. Yeah, six feels good to me. I, I I like it a lot more than a six, but with yeah. with that shitty art and the the bummer, I can't give it more than a six. I feel like this series, it, what, we have one more issue probably. I feel like I could give could give this series every issue a six and give the series a an eight, if that makes sense. It does. I um, like this book way more than the 6.5 that I'm going to give it makes it sound like. I do really love the conceit of this book and what it's doing, but it also goes in a direction that I find you know, a little challenging, but not in a way that it should be punished for that. I, I, I love and want to support doing more things like this, but decompress it. And I'm a little confused why this is the, the direction he's decided to take Spider-Man, but it is. Let's talk about Resonant Number One by Vault. Vault wait, um, Django, you got ninety seconds. Uh, oh God! Go. Okay, Road of Bones Number Three is holy shit, gross and scary. It's these escaped prisoners in the snow, and most of the issue is spent with two of them just kind of talking, and at some point, they're just talking and covered in blood. And it's disgusting and amazing. Beautiful and red. yeah, it's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous comic. Speaking of covered in blood, Little Bird Chapter Five. Ian Bertram is 
a heck of an artist. I'm not sure that I understand exactly what happens at the end, but uh, it's it, every single panel and every single page is super beautiful. Um, it's also at the very end they mention that they're going to uh, have. I don't know if it's a sequel or just a follow-up by the team. And I'm excited for that. Uh, the Orville, New Beginnings, Part 1 of 2. I never thought I would read a Star Trek rip-off television show adaptation expansion, but this nails those characters perfectly. Jughead's Time Police was awesome. Number 2, the cliffhanger at the end is... Hell yeah. Uh, the Ride, Burning Desire, number two. This book is fucked, and I really like it. The Ash by Doug Wagner and Chris Bruner at the end. It's just like a six-page story, and it is not okay. And anytime you can make me feel gross about something like that, full marks. He's got a high bar. Dude, Road of Bones looks so good. I... I don't know how many times I can say it, and then how many times you can flip through an issue while I'm talking about it and agree with me. Do you know how long it is? I assumed it was three issues. But it sounds like there's another one? Uh, Sorry, I assumed it was four issues. Okay. Ghost Tree was four, four. and they were both IDW books, and they're both way better than they seem like they should be. I could believe it being six, Um because we haven't even really hit the monster parts of this. Because there is like a supernatural element, but... It's so pretty. Oh, yeah. Like the colors, the stark whites, and then that deep Ryan Otley red blood. Like, oh, just like the way that they're eating people's livers and shit. It's so gross and so good. Jeff? That, that looks... Did you give scores? No, I didn't. Um, let's see. What, what did I... What did I talk about? Uh, Road of Bones first, then Little Bird. Road of Bones, I would give an eight and a half. Little Bird, I would give a nine. No, I'd give give Little Bird an eight and a half because I didn't understand the end, and I don't think it's because I'm dumb. I would give the Orville a seven. Like, yeah, it's it's perfectly acceptable. The the voice for every character was spot on. Jughead's Time Police, I would also give a seven. It's a little simplistic for my tastes, but um, the the twist on the very last page was really good. It was a little simplistic for your taste, just not enough fart jokes or. Uh, listen, that's that's <laughs> fuck you. I was trying to think of what Justin would say if he had heard you say that. <laughs> Just uh, like oh. the the story is super kind of kind of simple, but then the twist at the end brings in a new character and uh, she's Archie's daughter or granddaughter. We don't really know. Her last name is McAndrews, so okay. we don't we don't really know. And then uh, the ride burning desire, I would give a seven and a half. I wouldn't read it if you're prone to um, actually feeling for fictional characters because the. The story at the end is super fucked, like David Lapham level fucked. Hmm. Jeff, if you had 90 minutes to talk about two or more books. That'd be a long podcast. What? I'd go 90 minutes. 90 minutes? All right. Uh, I'm going to set an alarm here. 90 (laughs) minutes. Go. 
Alright. <laughs> Teen Titans number 32. Uh, this one's written by Adam Glass, Bernard Chang. I, we, I read and talked about the last issue, so I just wanted to follow the closure of this. This mostly follows Crush after fighting with her dad, <clears throat> Lobo. And I got Lobo in this issue. You got him? I got him. You unlocked him. I was reading it, and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> Randy Savage. <laughs> and I read the whole time. Like That was what made me think about the question about reading in voices, is because like halfway through it, I was like, man, this guy says some dumb shit. And I was like, oh yeah. And I got really into it. I'm glad you got him. He says things that are not Randy Savage would never say, but... Uh, it was it, it was really good. I, I feel for Crush a little bit. Um, Teen Titans is a, is a good book. I, I dig it. She whoops her chain out. It's cool. We don't know who Crush's mom is. I actually thought we were going to find out who Crush's mom was, and I was going to call Dino because I was like, oh, my God, I know he's been talking about that for months. Like, if we could find out, I want to talk to him about it. Yeah. Didn't get to. Uh, Faithless number four by Brian Azzarello and Maria Lovett. This is number four of five. This book makes me want to touch myself. Um, when I think about this book, I touch myself. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't want any other book. When I think about this book, I touch myself. It's super, super, super gross. Not the touching, just the book. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm done. But <laughs> it's like, I really remembered how much I love that song. Um, I don't think I'm going to know if this book is garbage until it's done. I agree. But like, it, there was times in this where I was like, this is just dumb garbage. But it's also, I don't want to say compelling, but it's like Alan Moore experimenting with Lost Girls. Like trying to use sexual arousal in a non-arousal way. But like, if art is the ability to manipulate the emotions that you're making somebody feel... This seems like an attempt to do that, but I don't know if it's particularly high concept because it's just like very base level Chuck Palahniuk sort of shallow emotion evoking. I have I have a lot of feelings about that book because it's following a very simplistic formula in each issue where it's like sexy setup, sexy setup, sexy setup. Holy fuck, that's the weirdest, most uncomfortable thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And. Yeah. Right? And also... It's the most coherent thing I've read from Brian Azzarello yeah. in, I don't know, since the first six issues of 100 Bullets. I th- and I've read almost everything he's written since then. I think I would like this more if I didn't know who the writer was. I would give Teen Titans a seven. I I liked it. And it, to me, is just the perfect idea of like a 16, like if I were 16 or reading a DC comic or something like that, it's just like... It's characters that are relatable. They're teens. It's good. The art is good. It's succinct. Perfectly acceptable comic book. Would you go down to a 12-year-old reading that? Would I give that to a 12-year-old, that book? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I, think it's, I think it's really good for a 12-year-old. Yeah. Um, and then Faithless, I've so, like, yeah, I'm super conflicted about, but I think I would give it a 7. I would give that book a seven. I would give the last three pages a uh, ten and a half. For being the grossest thing. Just so unsettling. And like I felt I felt like I'd been boondoggled. Used and, and yeah. 
like I was an ambulatory boondoggle yeah. when, when I was done with that. You should have seen Justin. Did you see Justin look through? Oh it? yeah, he, yeah. He yeah. I, I thought he was going to throw up in his lap, and he was standing. You don't even have a lap when you're standing. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Resonant number one. This is from Vault Comics, written by David Andre, uh, artist Alejandro Aragon. We're kind of we're really increasing our orders for Vault Comics. I think they're putting out not everything is a hit for sure, but they're putting out some really good books. Between Justin and Roman, thinking these Savage Shores is one of the best books of the year, and and this being a super workable comic and. Like, Vault and Ahoy are Vault, yeah. like they they seem to be stepping into sort of where Image was at yeah, one point. Yeah, like, Vertigo, like a, a hole that has been sort of uh, unfilled for a little while. Very grown up kind of not not adult necessarily, but grown up stories and comics. But feeling particularly independent. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. The so, art in this is gorgeous. It is, and you texted me last night, and you had a three word review of it. And uh, I want to find that three-word review. I, I was... You were reading I was books. A, I was 120 books. beers in. You were reading books. I was reading Three-word review. Awesome, effective horror. Yes. And I don't disagree. I, I I think it all worked super well. I don't think I was supposed to have a real firm idea of what was going on in this. Yep. But I it ended... I could have used like four more pages because it, it ended in it just a time where I was starting to like okay what is this and i don't think that is a bad thing for it um because i think it was supposed to i think they did that intentionally but i could use Uh, a little more i'm getting chills looking at it again this this book is they set up just like this nice family hanging out in the woods like super super kind of stock uh post-apocalyptic family that's been surviving and then uh and then they send the dad out on a on a trip to get some supplies and he leaves the kids with some cicadas uh and then at some point the cicada like he runs into some trouble and the kids are hanging out and they they the cicadas start chirping and everybody starts freaking out and trying to get to safety and and kind of zen their minds is what it seems like they they have this mantra that they're chanting and trying to get it like not think and the the chirping of the cicadas gets louder and louder and louder and louder and I, like I don't know if you've ever been around cicadas, Jeff. No. They, if if you let them into your brain, they will just overwhelm everything you're thinking Are about. Are they in New Orleans? Yeah, they're they're in New Orleans. They're they're Are they in mostly Texas? in the South. You might hear them in Texas. I don't. I think summertime is the season. I don't really know for sure, but like you just hear like this chirping and. If everything else goes silent, it just fills you up, and it 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 seems like somebody's just turning up the volume on them. Huh. And then sometimes they'll just all stop. That's un uh, unsettling. And so, like knowing that sound pretty well, and reading this book, and hearing hearing that exact chirping when everything starts going bad. Um. The, yeah this this book got got under my skin and made me feel weird. I think it was Scared. paced really well. Yeah. And I think that it explained itself and introduced questions at an exact equal rate. Mm-hmm. Like really well done. Mm-hmm. And the art reminds me a bit of Lee Garbett, who did the art in Skyward, but like very sketchy, like doing yep. this weird sort of uh, very sketchy effect to it, but very good art like 
big shots of atmospheres. I loved the double page spread of him, the main character who's the father of these three kids who has this safe house because it's like a, almost like zombie-like post-apocalypse, but somehow cicadas trigger something. Anyway, he leaves the house and then his son leaves the house as well, and the exact same pa- pa- panel layout is between the two pages, and I, I think that mirrored itself. Oh super wow, well. I didn't notice that. That's really cool. It is really unsettling. It's very pretty, and it made me really want to learn what the fuck is going on, and not in a way where you just have a bunch of questions because it's not well done. You're you're given world and story and characters, and given questions at the same rate, and I yeah. think that that is really good storytelling. Yeah, really super well done. I approve. Yeah, yeah, I was glad that you had told me to read it. I, I wasn't going to. I'd give it an 8. I'd go 7.5. Um, I, I, 7.5 or an 8. Like It's 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 high. It's good. Um, i give it an 8 just because it actually scared me. I wanted. I was hoping that we'd have a few... I should, I should have done this when Justin was here because I was hoping we would have at least three people on the podcast, which we don't now. Uh, but I want to tell you. I want to tell you a joke anyway. Oh, please do! I probably won't laugh out loud. What do you call the wife of a hippie? Hippie, the wife of a hippie, hippie partner, married. Uh, Mrs. Hippie. Oh, I do like that. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah, it's dangerous when you ask Jeff like a riddle or a question. Like, hey, guess what? Because I like, I try to solve it. I always forget that. I need to work on my <laughs> phrasing when I'm trying to tell you a joke. Jeff specifically t- takes it not into joke. But realm. what if I said, uh, "Do you know what you would call the wife of a hippie?" I would still think too much. No, because you just, like the question is, "Do you know?" Do not you think... what is the wife of a hippie. Yeah, I don't know. I. I, I... You give me a question, I'm going to try and find the answer myself. Mm. I love when I go to the grocery store with Sam, I have to say, like, Sam, if you find the, you know, the oolong tea, please don't tell me. I like to find it. Like, I like to find things. Okay, so here's how I'm going to, here's how I'm going to set up jokes for you from okay. now on. I'm going to tell you what you call the wife of a hippie. I'm going to. Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. I like that. <laughs> Jeff, I have something I want to tell you. It is the name of the wife of a hippie. Are you ready? It is Mrs. Hippie. That's very good. I'm going to tell Sam that when I get home. All right. Um, everybody, thanks for joining us on episode 139 of the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast. You have one week to get us your questions. If you're hearing this, if you listen to us. No, no, no. Way less than a week. You got like two days. Right. Oh, right. Because right, we podcast, record yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah, right. So we're going to put this one up a little bit early. But if you're hearing this, get us a question today. If you Please. haven't done it. We've been getting them, and we really appreciate it, but we want to get a very wide selection from a lot of people. So please, if you're hearing this, call. You won't hear anybody. You'll just get the opportunity to listen, like leave a voicemail. It's 1-619-663-7336. Thanks, Satan. Uh, And you can uh, drop us a question through email, which is what we've probably gotten more of than voicemails. And you can just send those uh, with any subject you want to the email address info at thecomicsplace.com. And it doesn't even have to be a good question. It can just be... Hey, guys. Hey, guys. uh, What do you call uh, the wife of a hippie? Yeah. Or... And I would think about it too long. Or like, why isn't Clud on more? Or, you know, anything. Like, your feedback. But I also... we're, We're... we're listen this podcast is dumb we're gonna lie it's dumb but we're really really into it and we really like doing it and uh we're i am very grateful to everybody who listens to it and every week you know we hear a new person who's picked it up so that's great and we're very very appreciative tell a friend about it 
uh, retweet this, make a Facebook post saying, hey, I'm pumped, this new episode's up, post a link to it, uh, get some more people on board. I know you know people who like comics. Yeah. And uh, they might like our podcast, they yeah. might not, but... You know, don't hide it from them. There's people that I'm certain will not like our podcast that have told me they've started listening to it, and that's great. I heard I heard that you have to tell 700 people about a podcast for every one that will listen to an episode. Wow, I like that. 700. So make it your mission to get us one <laughs> new listener. Please. 700. Um, we're 11 weeks away from our live show, which we're really excited about, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Boy. Uh, We've got the Final Crisis podcast that we're going to record when we when I get back from Austin, Texas. Do you want to do it right now? No. <laughs> I love that ongoing joke. Um, and then we're going to have an upcoming monthly graphic novel podcast where the amazing Ryan Russell is going to come on and we're going to have coffee and comics. And that's a spoiler. That's happening. Ryan, if you're listening. It's, I'm talking to you, Ryan. You're, we're doing this thing. We're sitting at this table. It's going to be early morning. We're drinking coffee and talking comics. Can we do another one, too, with him? Yeah, I would love to. Barbecue and brew and books. Oh, we've got the, the metaphorical barbecue that we've got to do. Balls. So we should make him be on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go eat so much. Hey, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. I'm going to go eat so much barbecue in Texas. The next time you guys see me, I'm going to have, like, mini extra uh, tummy tummy marks. I'm Django, and the last time I ate barbecue in the South, it was at Sonny's Garden of Eaton. And uh, I'm not so sure I'm going to go back to Sonny's Garden of Eaton, even though it's probably the best name <laughs> ever in all of the Carolinas. That Okay, I was going to say, that's the place we went to. Okay, I yeah. was like, is that the South? Yeah. It's got North in the name. Uh, yeah... We'll see you guys next week. I hope I don't die in the plane. Uh...